Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me as always is my co-host, Rex. Hello, it's good to be back, and so quickly, too, you know? I know, right? Like, we just recorded Cloverfield, like, a week ago, and we're back at it again. Yeah, obviously the viewers may not have that same sort of short gap, but... You know, these things happen. This is true. This is true. But it is weird because, like, we have never been consistent or, like, close in Consistency? Never heard of it. Yeah. yeah. That's not in my vocabulary, man. Yeah. I mean, we literally, after the recording, we're like, let's just agree to do at least one episode a month, and then maybe we'll do more. (laughs) So there's a little hint to you for uh, this month because – This episode actually marks the first time that I have been able to do something I've wanted to do since the podcast technically started three years ago. Um, I love the month of October. I love spooky, scary stuff. Um, Even though I spend most of my Halloweens crying in my bed, I... Things happen. Every year. (laughs) (laughs) These things happen every year. Um... I was have always wanted to do horror-themed episodes. Now, we did something like this before, but this time we're finally going to go through with it, and we're going to kick some serious butt. Um, so this is the first episode of the October special for Kaiju Conversation, covering Japanese tok- uh, tokusatsu J-horror films. Um, so that's pretty exciting, but before we get into the main topic... You know, we always got to do our little back and forth banter catch up since, you know, the last time we did a recording. So we got about a week to talk about. Uh, mm. So, Rex, why don't you go ahead? Like yeah, there's not too much, but what, you got anything for us? Anything exciting? Uh, not too much, all things considered. Uh, I watched a little film called Sweet Home. Nice. The uh, Koishi. Uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa Kiyoshi Kurosawa Uh, not related to Akira Kurosawa by the way but a man that will probably get brought up again at least some at some point in this uh, recording Uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) definitely Um, wasn't that Kurosawa's first film Sweet Home? am I wrong? I'm not sure if it's his first but it's definitely like one of his first films um it's the version i watched is um the home release version given the theatrical cut isn't exactly uh readily available let's say um and which had been re-edited and i believe partially reshot by uh the producer juzo itami mm-hmm. who also plays a character in the film interestingly enough <laughs> Hmm. It yeah, it, uh, it, a, hmm? it you saying that brings a whole new meaning to the statement. Uh, J horror is a producer's game and not a director's. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting film. Um, it's very. It feels like a mix of things that um, I've kind of seen before. Like you got a bit of house, not quite as wild. Um, you got a bit of Jalo inspiration, American horror films, 
all that sort of stuff. And you got an American effects artist as well. Oh. Um, who did some absolutely spectacular work on the film. Like the, there isn't too much crazy, like the film's light on like uh, quantity, but the quality, man. <laughs> what is there looks very, very good. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I've been told to watch it. I'm just waiting to see if it'll eventually get released, though unlikely because of rights issues. Uh, yep. Between Toho, uh, Kurosawa, uh, the producer, and Natami. So, yeah, there's like four people there that are causing it to be an issue. But maybe one day, you know, we get stuff like Space Monster Wing Magui. You know, there's always a chance. This is, this, this is absolutely true. You never know what might happen. But beyond Sweet Home, uh, have you watched anything else of interest? Uh, well, I've watched this episode's uh, title feature, of course. I actually watched that just before watching Sweet Home. <laughs> nice, nice. Anything else or just kind of this episode stuff? Uh, not really. I saw the new Jeepers Creepers movie. That was more or less it. <laughs> gotcha. Was that any good? <laughs> um, that sounds like a no. Well, um, I never thought I'd, and I never thought you'd make me a movie could make me like free more. Um, but here we are. Oh. I've never seen a single one of them, so I'm going to guess that's bad. Um, well, it had some of the best green screen I've ever seen. Absolutely marvelous work right there. <laughs> My sarcasm meter has gone up. Oh, God. That bad? Bro, you have actually got no idea how... I don't. You have no idea, bro. I, I think the DVD is supposed to come out in, like, October. I need a... I need it. Just like get screenshots of what, how the green screen looks. Cause oh my god, oh my god! Anytime someone like exits, their, leaves their car, or exits a building, oh my god, it's something. I waited like three or four years for this film just to get released. So it was a big letdown. I knew it was going to be um, bad going in. But I wasn't expecting it to look the way it did. Ooh. Okay. Well, that's not good. It's something. It, it It's truly something. Hmm. <laughs> Besides that, you got anything else? Anything uh, else? Not exciting? really. Not really. Ah, gotcha. Um, well, as for me, I... Uh, I haven't posted anywhere, but I got from Right Stuff, I got Uzumaki, the Junji Ito uh, oh, yeah. live-action adaptation movie. Is that the one from, like, the 2000s? Yes, yes. Apparently, okay, it's also yeah. really good. Um, I've actually heard that's a good adaptation. I, I, I would like to um, read the original manga and then mm-hmm. watch the film, because I've heard Junji Ito is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's pretty cool. 
And then I got the Kaneko duology of Death Note films, which means I have all but one of them now. So I'll have to watch those. And then I have to get it's like light up the world. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's the third one. And then I've already got L, uh, Mm. the, the fourth one. So then I'll have all of them. And then does the uh, does the live action TV show have like any sort of um, distribution? Release? Not to my knowledge, because mm, um, I think it was on Crunchyroll. It might it might be streaming, but it hasn't been released. I'm pretty sure it is streaming, or at least. Once. But I do need. To, I would love for the Windguard movie to get a release. I would love for Netflix to like release some other things on physical media, but. Me too. Anytime soon, isn't it? Uh, probably not. I know. I know you're um, very excited to get City on the Edge of Battle um, on Blu-ray. How about no? Ah, uh, come on. You know you want it. I mean, yeah, for the collection. Hmm. I mean, to be fair, maybe it's not entirely Netflix's fault. Maybe it's just distributors. Uh, well. Netflix has international distribution, and they've released it in Germany. So, like, yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking. Like, it's mm. it's on them. They're just horrible. Mm. And they, they make the ones that release the German Blu-ray. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. Mm. Uh, I'll have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure it was them. Um, but besides that. I got to see something before anybody else did. Yes. Um, so I recently went to a film festival um, where assistant director uh, Yoshikasu Ise, uh, also director for Attack of the Giant Teacher, one of my personal favorite uh, tokusatsu films ever made, uh, attended with his newest film, Yuzo. The biggest mm. battle in Tokyo. Um, before they showed Yuzo, I got to watch uh, three short films. Two of them were short comedic ones. I don't really remember them. But there was a Bulgarian one called Squish. Yeah. It was really good. I've never heard of it before. Hmm. But I was like, whoa, this is really cool. It's It's 4.3 aspect ratio. It's black and white. It's really good. I I I, w- I want to find it. Like I'd love to watch that again. It was really good. Nice. And so, how was Yuzo? Yuzo was fun. Um, it's not Attack of the Giant Teacher. It's not as enduring. It's more self aware. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little crazy. Um, and the kaiju stuff does not take the main focus of the film. Um, it doesn't have like the miniature effects that attack the giant teacher did either. Uh, virus Kings. Cool. Yeah. I loved the crazy characters. Like one thing Ishe does is he creates great characters. Like they're very memorable and comedic. Mm -hmm. And I loved what he did with these characters. Um, I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. Uh, and I heard there might be a way for me to watch it again here pretty soon. So maybe I'll watch it again. 
Um, Interesting. Yeah. But I, uh, I went to the premiere with an Attack of the Giant teacher shirt. <laughs> and I was standing, I was talking to uh, two other guys who were Kaiju fans. Yeah. Um, I was in the middle, one was on the left, one was on the right. And director Ishe walks by and he turns and he looks at me and he points at my shirt. And I'm like, and he says, uh, giant teacher. And I said, yeah, I, I love this movie. It's amazing. And he was like, oh, thank you so much. Like, thank you. And he shook my <laughs> hand. I'm like, thank you for making it. Um, and then uh, I got to talk to him a bit about how I got to see Giant Teacher at its worldwide premiere. And the fact that I got to see Yuzo at its worldwide premiere was so cool. Um, he was a great, great to hang out with. I got some photos with him, uh, got his signature on a few items. Uh, nice. And it's just so cool. Like I've seen him tweet stuff and it's like, dude, if I worked at that McDonald's and he walked in, I'd be like, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to have lunch with a guy who worked <laughs> on Godzilla Final Wars, Ultraman Saga, Ultraman Zero, Attack of the Giant Teacher, and Yuzo. Like, I'm going to stop everything and do this. <laughs> That'd be so cool. But it, yeah, it was, it was awesome. awesome. Um, he got to, he introduced the film to us and he also did a Q and a afterwards. Um, I actually recorded them. Um, so I got the footage that was fun. I loved it. It was, it was nice. I actually need to add, I'm going to add that real quick to my tokusatsu. I've watched this year because it is tokusatsu and I watched it this year. I didn't expect to watch it this year. But I did. Sometimes fortunate things happen. This is true. This is very true. But yeah, so that has been all I've watched. I Oh, I also watched uh, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Have you seen it, Rex? I have not. Okay. Do you want a spoiler or do you want to sure. go in blind? I don't mind. Okay. So I'm watching it. And like while I'm watching it, you know, I'm looking at the Japanese because they filmed in Japan. Yeah. Uh, and like, I recognize Shibuya, um, the filming locations and whatnot. Uh, I see a battleship Yamato anime uh, poster. I'm like, Oh, that's mm. really cool. And I'm telling my friend about all this. I see a mech. Um, I think it was a Gundam. I didn't see any common writer Ultraman. I was a little disappointed. Um, and like none of the Japanese actors I recognized. Mm -hmm. And then like this uncle, like CEO guy is introduced and like, they really sit like they hype him up as a character. Like they don't show who it is. I'm like, who is this? Who is it? It's mm -hmm. gotta be somebody. And he, he's wearing like the, the fedora hat and it's covering <laughs> his face. And he walks into the room and like the light hits him and I freak out. It's Sonny Chiba. Yo. <laughs> and I'm like, like my friends like sitting here just casual. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. Do you know who this is? Do you know who this is? Oh my God. That's so cool. And he's like, what? I'm like, it's Sonny Chiba. And he's like, 
who's Sonny Chiba. I'm like, oh, he's only one of the most prolific Japanese actors of all time. <laughs> um, and like I told him the thing that uh, I think his biggest influence to Tokusatsu was uh, he was one of the guys that basically invented how Sentai fought. Mm-hmm. Like he was one of the lead trainers for those early Sentai shows. Mm-hmm. So like he basically was the guy that invented how Power Rangers fight. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only that, he was in a, a fair bit of uh, Toei's early Toku um, This movies. is true. And shows. Uh, yeah. Neptune Man, Golden Bat. Prince of Space, um, Allah Man. What is that one? Uh, do you know which one I'm talking about? Um, uh, maybe he was in Wolf Guy. <laughs> he was in Wolf Guy. Uh, uh, Bullet Train, another one he did for uh, Toei. Mm-hmm. Legend of the Eight Samurai. Was that Toei? That was Katakawa. Ah. Messenger of Allah, uh, that's the show, and Seven Color Mask, he was both in. Oh, Seven Color, yep, yep. Uh, so, like, there's there's plenty of stuff he has done, and it was like, this is so cool. Like, mm. he's in this, and... Uh, I, I, I freaked out over it. My friend was kind of like, okay. But he was also happy because he loves the Fast and the Furious franchise. So he was like, anything to get you interested in this, I'm down for. <laughs> so I had Sonny Chiba. And just Japan in general. Like, yeah. he win me over that way. Any Godzilla in the movie? No, I was I was curious. Uh... I mean, I'm sure there was a few Nissan uh, GTRs. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's the Godzilla model GTR. Um, I, I know nothing about cars, so. Oh, you're one of those people. What? So uh, that's been my experience in film and cinema since uh, we've last recorded. Yes. Beyond what we're going to talk about today. Mm. So before we get into the main topic, we're going to talk about two other topics because yeah because yeah, they're relevant to what we are going to be discussing even though very loosely relevant mm-hmm. so the first thing we're going to talk about is the short film four 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 i believe i said that 10 times from here in I, i'm gonna call it 10 fours because i'm not it's easier I'm, yeah, I'm not going to say four, 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 four. Why not? Annoy our audience. Make them want to <laughs> turn this off. <laughs> like the guy who wants to hang up on the phone call in the short? Yeah, precisely. Yeah. So, some background. Takashi Shimizu was uh, tapped to direct and an, uh, work on an anthology uh, haunted school series. Haunted mm-hmm. School G. However, the producers of it did not trust uh, Shimizu mm-hmm. with working on what he had given them. He wrote some stuff too. So they said, why don't you do two, three minute short films? 
Mm-hmm. And from that, we got 10 fours and in a corner. And uh, Sh- Shimizu actually got this gig through uh, Kurosawa. Yeah. So there's there's at least one mention of him because I'll probably mention him again at some point. Yeah, like he was a huge reason for how Shimizu got into the filmmaking world. Mm. And he does have some degree of influence on our main topic as well. This is true. This is very true. So I guess we can talk about Ten Force first, and then we'll talk about Inner Corner. Sure. We'll start with our thoughts. I don't have too many like informative notes on it. There's not a whole lot of, to really talk about. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we can go ahead. Uh, so, Rex, what a... What what's your opinion on Ten Fours specifically? Um, I don't know. It's a nice little uh, introduction of sorts to Toshio and uh, his little cat scream. I suppose it's a nice. <laughs> it's just a. Uh, it's kind of hard to talk about since it's only about what three minutes long. Yes. Yeah, and it's just it's just a nice little short film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so i guess I, I should i should say what the story is so people can have an understanding yeah. um essentially this this teenage boy is uh writing down this alleyway and he hears a phone call and he looks for a phone and he finds the phone and the number on the phone is 10 fours now four in japan is the equivalent to 13 in America. A lot of hotels don't have 13th floors because that's bad luck. Yeah. Um, So he answers this phone call. Four means death, I guess, in Japan. Uh, And so he answers this call and he hears cat noises he hangs up, he gets, keeps getting phone calls, and he's like, are you watching me? And then he, uh, Toshio appears and mm-hmm. probably Screams kills at him. him and uh, then it ends. Yeah, it's very basic. Yeah, so is uh, the other sh- short film in a corner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the short films yeah for me it's just they they're there it's it's kind of cool they're kind of like cool anecdotes just to see where the main topic of this discussion came from and to see where Kayako Saiki and Toshio uh, first appeared I suppose yeah and Honestly, that's really all I think the films have. Um, yeah. I, Shimizu's really held back. Um, I think In a Corner is worse, and I'll get into that when we talk about that one specifically. Um, but, like, in in reference to Ten Fours, like, there's something about it that's not unsettling. It's all – it's very bland – 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's shooting with a digital camera. It's like a camcorder. Yeah. It's probably a team of him and the actors. Yeah. He probably edit. Well, no, I, they probably had an editor do it, but he was probably the one that did all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's very bland. There's not really any interesting aspects. It's not peak cinema. It's not, he was told to do this in probably like a weekend. Mm-hmm. And so he wrote it, shot it, and had it on their desk probably within the weekend. Mm-hmm. That's really all I've got for 10 fours. Did you want to slide into in a corner? Sure. Um, do you want to explain the story for that one since I explained the story for 10 yeah. fours? Um, so in a corner or Japanese name Katasumi, um, basically just two high school girls um, are taking care of a rabbit during, um, during like summer break or whatever. And, you know, they're sweeping the cage, feeding the rabbits, etc. One One of the girls cuts her hands and, uh, goes to get it bandaged. Um, And then when she returns, the other girl um, has disappeared along with the rabbits. And then from a a tree, or she sees, she looks over to a tree and sees Kayako. She walks over to her and presumably kills her like she did um, the other girl. Mm -hmm. Now, in my opinion... I think the low budget is worse in in a corner. Like it works for ten fours, it's fine. Yeah. But in a corner, it is horrible, and that's because there's this weird filter over uh, Kayako. Yeah, and you can tell he hadn't he he didn't. I it he had the he had the. Yeah, he had the look of Kayako. He just didn't have any anything behind it, any of like the motivations or what happened. Yes, behind yeah, it. it feels like an underdeveloped Kayak. Like Toshio feels pretty, like yeah, he he knew what he was doing, but Kayako just kind of felt lacking of what she would become. Yeah. Kayako works better with uh, the added context that the films give. I agree. Um, But neither of them are really scary. Yeah, I mean, there's not really much, too much you can do with this no budget shorts, pretty much. Right. Particularly when it only lasts like three minutes as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not impossible. Because there are some very, very talented people who can prove what I'm saying very wrong. Um, but, you know, yeah, it is what it is. With, with the limitations, it's, it's, it's a fun little anecdote on history. It is. Um, and, like, the dis- what I think is most disappointing is they're not easily accessible with Juon. You can only get it on the Blu-ray for the American Grudge movie, mm-hmm. um, and I wish that wasn't the case because, like, there's there's some you know 
It's historical, and you know, if they could get the rights to, why not put it with Jew on? Yeah, mm. would make sense. But when 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 do things when do when does life make sense? This is true, but that's really all I've got. I don't have any other notes mm. on them. It was like he did them. Yes, they existed. They they were liked. People liked them. Mm. Um, and then he would later take those ideas and concepts and expand them uh, two years later in the first Juon film, which is not what we're talking about, by the way. No. Uh, we are talking in this about uh, Juon the Grudge. The yes. third film in this um, series, but the first one to be theatrically released. Yes. So we have now segued into our main topic, Juon, mm-hmm. uh, also known as Juon the Grudge. Yes. Um, but because the DVD says Juon, I'm going to refer to it solely as Juon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a 2003 film directed by Takashi Shimizu. Um, Takashi Shimizu is the guy who created Juon. He also did Shock Labyrinth, Howling Village. He's worked on Ten Nights of Dreams, a anthology movie. Uh, I think he worked on Dark Tales of Japan. I think I could be wrong. He's yeah, done so. he's done a lot of like TV stuff uh, for horror. He is on the American remakes of uh, this film as well. This is true. He was director of the first one. Uh, I don't... And then a producer on the second, I believe. Actually, he might have directed the sequel, too. Hmm. Possibly. I know Nagata, director of Ring, directed the sequel to the American film Ring, The Ring. But I'm pretty sure Shimizu directed the first two, and then the third one he had no involvement with. Hmm. Usually we start at the beginning of series and go through them, but Juon the Curse and Juon the Curse 2 are not available yeah. uh, in the United States, so they don't really qualify for our... Unfortunately. Yes. I, I would love if it, if somebody would release a Juon box set with them, mm. um, but we Get can't... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here we're going to just talk about the third film, which, like you said, was the first theatrically released. And it was it, it has a budget. It's not a huge budget, but it does have a budget. Yeah. And it shows... Yeah, coming off the short film, definitely. <laughs> yeah. To describe Juon, really, I would say it's kind of like an anthology movie that's connected... Yeah, it's there. There's a. It's an. I would just call it a non-linear narrative, there, rather than an anthology um, film, because there is an overall through line with everything. It's just not all explicitly clear on the first watch. I'd say. Yeah, because I remember watching the first time. I'm like, what? But oh yeah. Upon the second viewing, it's like, okay, so we kind of jump back in time and then we go forward in time and then 
it, it, it's a lot of back and forth. Yeah, and then we jump even further forward in time, and then back. Which I'm not a huge fan of, personally. I don't like the narrative of the film. Mm-hmm. It's just too all over the place for me. Yeah, it's it's there's a bunch of it, it feels like there's a lot of ideas going on here, but a lot of them aren't really developed, particularly with time. Like mm-hmm. time gets played around with a fair bit in not only this film, but also its sequel, Drawn the Grudge Two, but um not, not much really comes about it per se. Mm-hmm. There's no real relevant to it outside of like outside of certain events being recreated you know Mm -hmm. to me it kind of felt like shimizu wrote a story and then he wrote another story yeah and they were linked and like instead of like figuring out how they would like line up he just filmed them after he wrote them and mm-hmm. they just so happen to link up if you yes. sit back and think. See, for me, I feel like I feel like the first three to four work quite well, fairly well together. It's just um, the end of the one with the detective, and then and then the two that come after. Those are the ones that I take most issue with really Mm -hmm. and i in my notes i i put it overstays its welcome after an hour and like two minutes yes yes absolutely absolutely it does because after the detectives die and i think this is because juan is like the second coming of ring once you've tied up that investigation story, it kind of feels like, okay, this is kind of done. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, the whole... it, The last act as well, the last um, story, it doesn't help that the last story, it's just the way it's set up feels very contrived. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we should probably at least explain a little bit of the plot Go for it. Um, if you want to, go for it. Sure. Um, so the film starts. So um, the film it's starts, hard. Um, it's really it's hard to explain this plot. It is hard to describe. Watching it, it generally makes like the beats make sense. It's just hard to put it all together in words. Um, so you essentially have five stories, correct? It's five stories? Yeah, five or six, roughly. Because um, we have Rika section, which is the, what the movie begins with. We then have, um, was it Katsuya or was it Kazumi? I don't know. Kanji Suda's character and his wife, um, which happens before Rika's plotline. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we get Hitomi, um, which is Kanji Suda's sister. Uh, which is after this is going either after or alongside Rika's one because like she calls um she calls the house and it's the same call that you can hear um in Rika's section except 
in Rika's section, it was day, and when the call happens in Hitomi's section, it seems to be night. It's not made explicitly clear, but it's a bit, it, it looks like night. Mm-hmm. I've always thought it was night. Um, I don't know whether that's intentional or if that's like a mistake in the film, honestly. Well, in, in, it's the guy's name Tetsuya. Tetsuya? It's Katsuya, right. I think. Katsuya? Okay. The end of his is at like eight o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. So when the sister's plot starts, she's getting off of work. Mm-hmm. So it has to be the following day. Yeah. So which seems which was and again it should be when Rika was in the house. Um before we get too far, let's explain the, the three plot lines and the yeah. prologue. Okay, so, yeah. Yeah, probably should start with prologue. Film begins with um Takeo Saiki um murdering his wife Kayako, murdering his cat, and then his son um Toshio. This creates a curse of vengeful spirits, essentially, on Rio. Yes. Even though, and we'll talk about this later, they're not really vengeful. Mm, yeah. But that, that's going to be a, to- a whole topic to its own we're going to talk about. Mm. So we have that establishment. And then we go to the Rico scene, or the section. Yeah. She is a social worker um, who is basically forced by her boss to check on the household by herself, even though she's, given she's new, she's not really confident in doing this. So she finds a household with um, an old woman who is, um, is she catatonic? Um, I heard she had Alzheimer's. Ah. Well, yeah, some sort of disease like that. Basically just can't take care of herself. Needs the support of at least someone at all times, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And she's living with her her son and his wife. And, yeah, those two have mysteriously disappeared with only the old grandmother still being in the house. Mother. She's not a grandmother. They don't have kids. Ah, true, true. And that is a relevant statement because that's later established. True, true. Yeah, so Rika tries to take care of the old woman trying to get into contacts her uh, boss to tell them, inform them of the situation, and then hears some interesting noises, explores the upstairs of the house, and discovers a little boy, Toshio. Not covered in all white, but rather just looking pretty normal if a little with a few scratches i believe it was yeah he Uh, looks like he's been a little banged up yeah yeah so after she discovers him she goes and asks the mother who the boy is she doesn't get an answer um life just kind of goes on and then that night they have a visit from Kayako in her spirit form. I've always been confused because, like, what is the black form? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's... The movie isn't explicit with everything. It's 
So there are just parts that are very confusing, particularly on the first watch. For me, this was my third watch, so it was easier to sort of put things together, but I still don't quite get the significance of everything, particularly like like that and the different um the different looks of Kayako throughout the film. Mm-hmm. I I get to me there's three. There's the black form. Yeah. Which is like I guess her spiritual form. Yeah. The the actual spirit. And then you've got her dead form, which is just her body. And then you've got the mutilated form, which is like the bloodied up. Yeah. Horrifying creature that I cannot stand. <laughs> so it ends with the mother basically dying of shock mm-hmm. from what I've gathered, much like yeah. Sadako killing her victims the mother kind of falls to that with yeah. Kayako. And then Rika faints as well, seeing mm-hmm. the just in disbelief of what she's seeing. And she goes into a shock as well. Yeah. Then it goes back in time where we learn who the mother is. Mm-hmm. She's the mother of a husband and wife who just moved there. Mm-hmm. Probably because of a new job. Oh, we neglected to mention the significance of the house, too. (laughs) Oh, in the prologue, it's established that the murders are done in that house. Yes, and this house is very significant to the curse. Yes. Essentially, enter the house, and no matter how hard you try, you're cursed by Kayako, Toshio, and uh, Takeo, and you will die one way or another. No matter what. Mm-hmm. Or disappear. So then we basically, the husband goes to work. He comes back from work. His wife has disappeared. He finds his wife in the bed, in the child's bedroom, I'm pretty sure. And she's in this state of shock. Toshio plays with the husband. Mm-hmm. Toshio disappears. I'm guessing appears in the wife's like mind and she dies of the fear. Hmm. And then he's possessed and he becomes Takeo. Takeo. And then he takes the wife into the bedroom where it was cut, but he was supposed to kill her. Yeah. Like Kayako. Yeah. Which is, yeah, that's a, a sort of a motif of spirits in a few cultures. I, I don't know how often it appears in Japanese culture, but I know like um, spirit. A lot of spirits. Um, it's said that they just are trapped in sort of loops of reliving the whatever happened within their life. So in this case, Takeo is recreating the murder of his wife. And son, presumably. I mean, it's not too shocking because Ring, the reason it's titled Ring is because it's a loop. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, it makes sense. Yeah. In those regards. Yeah. 
but uh, he goes into the bedroom and it uh, no, then the, the sister comes in and he basically pushes her out. I always took this as the husband has gained back some of his control. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can obviously still tell there's a bit of Takio in him when he starts muttering, it's not my child, it's not my child, um, mm-hmm. and all that. And that's, that's pretty much the only point in the film where it clues us into Takio's motivation for killing her, if I remember right. Right, but I think it's also expanded in the other films. Um, it probably is. I, I don't doubt that, but in this film's case, it's the only right. scene that really hints towards what, why, you know. And what I think is him gaining back some control, getting his sister out of the house, yeah. then immediately he's he loses all control. Yeah. And it is done. Yeah. And then it cuts to the sister's story, which is her getting off work, Kayako coming for her because she's now cursed. Mm-hmm. And she missed up in that house, man. Yeah. And <laughs> uh from there she's basically hunted down. Yeah. Until she's stuck in her apartment. And Kayako appears and she disappears. Hmm. I will say that section is probably my favorite in the story. Um, it, it at least has the most, probably the most memorable moments with like, um, like when she's first realizes something odd's going on, she goes into an elevator to just quickly run to her, um, her apartment room. And then you just, and then there's this little shot of uh, the elevator going up, and you can see Toshio following her on each floor. Absolutely brilliant shot, I'd say. I that is really cool. Um, it also is in uh, Hideo Nagata's uh, Dark Water, which was from the year prior to Juon. Yes, uh, if I remember <sighs> I correctly, remember I'm pretty sure it was. I don't remember. I I don't remember honestly. <sighs> I'm ninety eight percent sure it was. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to rewatch it honestly. <laughs> um, so like I've seen it before, so it wasn't anything exciting in that regards. But it was still yeah, I like drew on first before Dark Water. So <laughs> gotcha. So like, but it is cool and it's scary. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll just say this now. Like, this film freaks me out. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think I really like the TV scene because she starts watching TV and Kayako makes the TV mess up and it mm-hmm. ends on this distorted face of the person that is on the television. Eh, I, I don't know. That, that's sort of... It's, I don't know, those moments don't do too much for me, I, I suppose. I just like it. It's very much in line with the eras. True, true. And that was something else I was, I was going to mention. Um, it's not as prevalent as in, say, Ring or One Miss Call, but you can kind of see that fear of technology um, within this film. Yes. Um, with phones... 
the TV and even photos in one of the later section being mm-hmm. distorted, which I think that was also, I think Ring also did the distorted photos as well. Yes, yes. Anytime you are cursed after watching it, when you, and it's something in Japanese culture, it's when your photo is taken, you're cursed, your, your face is distorted. That's how you can uh-huh. tell you are cursed. Yeah. Which is funny because it kind of reminds me from Back to the Future, how Marty McFly looks at the image of him and his siblings to see if he's going to die or not. <laughs> but that's just a fun little thing. Mm. Um, but after after the sister, we have don't we have the detective? Yeah, so we go we go back to the um the aftermath of Rika's section where her boss, Hirohashi, I think his name was. Yes. Um yeah, yeah. He goes to investigate the house because got got a call from Rika, wants to know what's going on with the boy. Goes there and then finds the old lady dead and Rika just shocked in the corner. And then the detectives come in and start uh, questioning him, questioning Rika, and investigating the place. Now they're all cursed. <laughs> when they, after they investigate, they find the other detective that was on the original case. Yes, for the and, death of Kayako and um, Toshio. It's Takeo as well, I suppose. It was the disappearance of Toshio, and we learned that in this sequence. Or in this scene. True, true. And then from there we see uh, we get the death of the social worker. Yeah. And it ends in the scene that freaks me out the most, which is the reveal of Kayako in her true form. Mm-hmm. Um, and this true. is all after the detective they bring back he watches the video of the surveillance video from Hitomi uh, section, the Hitomi section. And then he security guard went to investigate the bathroom. Hitomi um, started encountering the curse and the detective dies. And then he freaks out because of the black eyes. Again, we have the black version of Kayako. Um, I don't know if black version is the right term there. Yeah. <laughs> the black apparition? I don't know. The black spirit? I don't know. Mm. The one that's not a dead wet girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So then we kind of, we get him getting ready to burn down the place. Then he has a, I can't tell if it's a flashback or a flash forward. I'm pretty sure it's a flash what, forward with his, um, with with his, his daughter. daughter. Yeah. yeah, that's a flash forward. Okay. Um, so even though it's released in um, two, it was released in 2003. Juon, the most sections of Juon appear to take place some at some point in the 90s. It's not explicitly clear when, but. It, it'd be roughly the 90s because there's a future section um, that takes place in late 2006. And this flash forward is is right before that future section. It kind of sets up 
that section, which is the next story for Izumi, his his daughter, who at the current point is only about like what five or six years old, something yeah. like that. She's a little girl. Yeah. And then uh he gets stopped because she, because of the flash forward. He yeah. investigates, learns that his daughter goes into the house with a group of three other girls. Mm-hmm. Who are trying to just be cool. Yep. And Izumi leaves the house and but while the other girls remain, they all die there that day or disappear. Mm-hmm. Um and then Kayako appear God that mm, who <laughs> Your favorite scene of the movie. I get chills. Like, I'm just going to say this now. This is part of my review, but I'm going to say it now. This movie is horrifying. (laughs) I am not scared by a lot of stuff, but Kayako freaks me out. He's a big fan of that rattle. Oh, my God. That sound. Oh, I'm mm, 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 mm. no, no. Oh, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. Mm. It is the scariest thing I've ever seen in cinema. <laughs> so oh, Kayako appears and then the, the old detective freaks out, gets down. He starts panicking and then the other detectives come in and then he escape. The old one escapes while the other two sit there and then Kayako comes and kills them. Kills them. And then it flash it goes forward in time to the daughter. Yeah. Who's whose father is now dead at some point between. Somehow. We don't yeah. get told how. And this is like the following day or something after the flash forward. Yeah, following day, following weeks not clear. Time gets played a lot with the film, but there's no exact like it doesn't exactly spell out when the time gaps between things, you know? Right. So then we hear that they, she went to the house, she's scared. And then it the ends. Girl she went with disappeared. Yeah. And then she basically freaks out, panics, mm. goes to her room, doesn't come out. We meet the mother who also looks really weird. Um, I mean, we met her earlier, and she was much more, um, like, for lack of a better word, normal. It um, might. I, I'd like to think it's the curse puts a toll on the loved ones. Like, yeah. It does, I mean, bear in mind, she watched her, her husband go through the exact same thing her daughter's now going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have like this dream sequence where she meets her dad again, but her dad's yeah. like a potato. I mean, I, I don't think it's a dream. I think it's a her having a flash back to him, similar to how he saw her in the future. Because hmm. uh, from what I from what I gathered, this is after the other detectives are killed, and this is when um, this is the aftermath, bef- and sometime just before he dies, presumably. I see. That was what I got out of that. Um, but again, the film's not explicit about that, so you kind of just got to fit the puzzle pieces together yourself as best you can. 
Yeah. And then after that, it goes back in time to after the detective sequence where we follow Rico. Mm-hmm. And this is where, I mean, the Izumi, right? That's her name, um, the daughter. Yeah. That's the final, that's the one where it starts to feel like it's dragging. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then we know, get, like, the f- oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I, 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 I like the Izumi section, um, but it, it's just, uh, it's just less interesting. I think part of it, I think, I think part of the issue is after the detective scene, you kind of think that Rico is dead because she has that dream sequence where Kayako and mm. uh, Toshio appear, and mm. like she should be dead. I think it's just I think it's just that the detective sequence honestly feels like a climax mm-hmm. in and of itself because like he goes to the house to just to straight up just burn it down, mm-hmm. you know, ending everything as best he can. And then the movie just keeps going. Right. And he fails. And it's like, okay. But then you all, I also have a question personally of why didn't he die sooner? I don't know. The, the curse kind of seems to work in uh, mysterious ways. Particularly in this last section where um, Rika's friend Mariko, um, who is an elementary school teacher, um, pays a visit to her student. Toshio, um, a student who has never shown up to class but is somehow enlisted. <laughs> Which makes no sense. Yes. Uh, I don't know how that works, but these things happen. But yeah, so she's trying to get through home visits and decides to go to the house, which is still covered in police tape, mind you. So, yeah, she enters in that and Rika finds out after also getting a little scared from Tokyo, uh, Toshio a little bit before. And and yeah, this is our final sequence of the movie. Runs around the house a bit. Uh, sees Kayako in her own reflection. And this is kind of where the movie loses me a little bit <laughs> again. Is it the whole hand thing? Yes. I yes. don't understand that at all. Yeah, it... So here's here's where I uh, have interpreted. So the whole story, the whole idea of uh, what, what the scrapped idea from the earlier scene with the husband and wife was that the curse is basically repeating itself. Yeah, I kind of get that. Like with what happens right after when Takeo shows up mm-hmm. um, and then basically turns um, Rika into Kanako and the final shot of a dead Rika now looking like Kanako with a hairstyle similar to her and even having the white skin, you know? Right. So this is maybe, maybe the wife wasn't the one they killed. I don't know, but Rika is supposed to be the new Kayako. So Mm -hmm. when she sees Kayako in the reflection, that's when she's like, Oh crap. Mm Mm-hmm. Am I and she starts coming out of her, so that's the symbolizing of I'm going to be Kayako. Yeah. And then Kayako comes down 
correct me if I'm wrong, but Kayako comes down, and then because of the hands, she is protected, which doesn't make sense at all. The peekaboo man doesn't make sense. The old lady, she died, so what's what's that going to help her? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, li- I, I like that the film lets the audience piece things together, but, but I feel that could have used at least a little bit of, like, either better setup or a better explanation, because I still just do not get the significance of it even on this third watch you know Mm -hmm. yeah um but kayako disappears and then here comes uh takeo takeo and it ends with her being dead in a bag right no it just ends and then we get shots of tokyo being Mm -hmm. desolate which was meant to set up the sequel where this curse continues to spread. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's another thing that the curse itself kind of um, the death of the people within the house sort of creates um, more curses too, mm-hmm. which is only really relevant in um, Izumi's section where the girls that died in the house, um, like her friends that died in the house, they are the ones that um haunting her rather than Kayako or Toshio or any of them. But Kayako ends up appearing at the end. True, true. But either way, they still come back to to haunt and kind of be the minions of Kayako and Toshio. Mm-hmm. And that's where the film ends. It ends with her getting taken and Tokyo being desolate. Mm-hmm. Now, the sequel was greenlit before the film came out. So they had already planned to do a sequel, being Juon 2. We're not going to talk about that one here, because yeah. that's a whole other can of worms. Um, but that is us. I watch that for this video, yeah. <laughs> for podcast. But that is us trying in the last 35 minutes to basically summarize the film to you. Yeah, a very hard film to s- summarize. Um. <laughs> it is. So... It's kind of all over the place. There's no main character. Mm-hmm. The closest thing to one is Rika, but she's only in maybe half of the film. We get no development. Yeah. You know, one thing that I've noticed is Juan's really weird. The Juan the Curse and Juan the Curse 2 are practically the same movie. It's just the curse has like 20 minutes of new footage. Yeah. It's, it's a very weird franchise yes very odd to sort of get into um because i remember when i was like trying to figure out where to start i was very confused by what's this why are they like what's this in a corner what's this 444 what's this what's the difference between the curse and the curse 2 versus john the grudge john the grudge 2 you know Mm -hmm. and then you have black ghost and white ghost the beginning uh, uh, of the end. I still don't and... know what the order. I still don't remember what the order of those is. <laughs> well, it goes. I'm pretty sure it's white ghost, black ghost, beginning of the end, the final curse, and then mm-hmm. Sadako versus Kayako. Yeah, and, and then I th- the TV show Juon Origins. Yeah, yes. Really. So, 
it's not as big as Ring, but yeah. it's more convoluted because Ring is like there's six timelines, and it's either they ignore the sequels and they're a direct sequel to the first one, or it's a continuation. Mm-hmm. And that's basically it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we're one to talk. We're Godzilla fans. Yeah, I know, right? So Juon's very confusing. Mm-hmm. And it's even confusing in its establishment because it's not the true ring follow-up people try to talk about it. Like a lot of people say Juon and Ring are like what brought J-Horror to its heights. But I don't view Juon on the same level as Ring. They feel completely different in where they sit on the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, Ring is a in comparison, Ring is a very slow burn type of film. These uh, Juon's a bit more, I don't want to say high octane because it isn't, um, but it's just as you stated earlier, it's very, it's more or less an anthology film. It's not I wouldn't quite call it one, but structurally, it it virtually is. has right. the same sort of feeling. That and like Ring was had a bigger budget than Juon really ever did. Um, mm-hmm. Juon is all from the mind of Takashi Shimizu. Um, he, mm-hmm. I, I know in Khaled's book it says that he has worked on every single film. I don't know if that's still relevant because – since the book came out, you had the release of Black Ghost, White Ghost, and then the final curse in the beginning of the end, and Sadako mm-hmm. versus Kayako, which definitely wasn't done by Shimizu. But, you know, it was a lot more contained with his his own madness that was inside his head. Whereas Ring was Nagata, and then it was somebody else, and then it was Nagata again, and then it was somebody else. And there was different mm-hmm. people, and then Nagata came back. And like Juon, Juon takes the tropes that Ring established and doesn't fulfill them. Which is why I personally feel like once you finish the detective part of the film, the movie overstays it. Well, it's welcome. The, yeah. The following stuff feels pointless. Mm-hmm. You could have had Rico die in the dream. Well, and not make it a dream and have the detectives die and the detective get out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's essentially the film just reiterating the same point over and over and over again. You enter yes. the house, you're dead. Enter the house, dead. Try and stop it. You still die. Doesn't matter. It's very repetitive. Yeah. And in my notes, I put lots of nothings. There's a lot of parts in the film where it's not, it's scary, but there's nothing. Mm-hmm. It's just that dread of what's coming. Yeah, it, it's it's the it, it's perfect when you in regards to like talking about uh, kaiju movies. It's like how mankind can't stop the kaiju, like tanks, bombs, nothing stops them. And it's up to the kaiju to deem when it's done, and it's not. And that's exactly what we have here, except it's 
spirits mm-hmm. on Rios just terrorizing until the end of time mm-hmm. or when they finally, I guess, decide they're no longer vengeful. Yeah. So it makes sense in regards to that whole context of how in Japan they like to just let nature do its thing and mankind can't stop it. Mm-hmm. Uh like that theme in its movies, it you could consider this similar to that. Uh, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally think a lot of the reason why the nothing is scary is because I thought the sound design and like the oh, music. The sound design is absolutely brilliant for the film, mainly just like the iconic rattle that. Oh. Absolutely. Oh. Brilliant. Mm. I, I I get chills every time. It's mm. horrifying. <laughs> like that's how to freak me out. If you mm. call me and start making that sound, I'm gonna go into a panic attack. Like it's horrifying. Ooh, that's a great idea. Don't. <laughs> uh I, I love the sound design and like during uh, Katsumi's death, the music that it morphs into when she's like drawing her last breath and the husband's like freaking out is horrifying because it's so crazy and abnormal and it doesn't follow anything. Mm. And it's like that's it some really nice music. I in particular love the um like the main theme. Um just that somber, um, somber yet familiar piano. The, mm-hmm. the only part I don't really like is that is that stock sound effect in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I get what they're going for with like a sinister turn. I just wish it wasn't that stock sound effect that I hear everywhere. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> it just completely takes me out from the track. Mm-hmm. And from the movie when it's played, just when that that one little bit hits, and then they and then they replay that sound as well. Yeah, I can agree to that. It's it, it kind of Sam Raimi said that this movie taught him how like new things to be a horror director, and like it was the scariest thing he'd ever seen. And like I think, like it genuinely freaks me out. Ring doesn't do that. Um, I've never watched another another movie and been so freaked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's there's small so, small things like that where it's like, hmm, I'm not I'm not too horribly scared. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, for me, I think I'm just too desensitized. <laughs> that's fair. It's just like everything about Kayako, especially the way she moves, the sound. Like in my notes, I say Kayako is effing horrific. And then I Mm -hmm. have a little line and I say, F that sound, three exclamation points. And then I have a line drawn down my page and say, the way Kayako moves is horrific. Like I, everything about Kayako is perfect in the film. If you want to scare somebody, I think it is perfect. Yeah. I hate it. And what makes it even better is there's actual significance to 
not only how she moves, but how she sounds too, because mm-hmm. her neck was broken by um, Takeo. And I'm pretty sure, I think this was said somewhere, but like the idea of the her voice box was crushed mm-hmm. is why she can't yeah. vocally say anything. Yeah. And that's why you got the rattle. <laughs> I I feel like we've, we, we talked a lot about the plot. Mm-hmm. Now, I think part of that is because the plot is the most, the plot in how scary the film is to me is what's most interesting about it because the film is very basic. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. There's no, like, there's there's a few scenes where it's like, okay, there's some interesting ideas going on in the cinematography, but overall mm-hmm. it's a very basic, bland, like, still shot, cut to the next still shot, wide angle mm-hmm. of a room, corner angle of a room, close up. It's, it's very basic. Mm-hmm. I, I do like the beginning where it, where it really, um, like when we're first introduced to the house, you kind of, you don't get to a full look at what the actual house looks like, keeping its exterior a bit mysterious. And then there's a lot of negative space used as well. Which mm-hmm. I really like. And I love the house. The house like layout is great. Oh, it's 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 the most memorable location um in the film and a fairly memorable location just in horror in general. Mm-hmm. The only thing from Ring that I truly remember, like scene wise, is the well. Yeah. But that's because like that's plastered everywhere. Juon, like the house layout is iconic, and they even reused that same set for the American uh, remake mm-hmm. uh, the following year. And I mean, it makes sense given the house is arguably the mo- one of, if not the most important parts of the film. Mm-hmm. Hell, Juwon Origins is literally about the house itself. On rare occasions, do you get a place where the setting is? A huge impact on the overall plot mm-hmm. and story, and is and is arguably almost as iconic as the villains of the film. Right, exactly, and like even the layout of the house is kind of freaky. Mm. I think it. I think that comes down to how it's shot as well. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, you, there's a lot of just looking down upon the characters from the ceiling. Mm-hmm really making everyone seem small alongside right. the negative space that like the, the dream negative space in some space that ju- uh, in some scenes mm-hmm. that just like, reinforces that point that everyone, that everyone who walks in here is small and like, I don't want to say insignificant, um, but powerless. Yeah. I guess it's very claustrophobic. It's very, because it's it's essentially two hallways stacked on top of each other, mm. and the top yeah. has two rooms that you can see. Mm. You have the stairwell down to the main entryway, and then you've got the living room, the room where the mother lives, uh, and then the kitchen, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Everything about the house is claustrophobic, and it's, and I mean. I know Japanese houses are small, but this 
movie really made me realize how small they were mm-hmm. and how small door frames are. <laughs> I don't. I might not even be able to walk straight through the hallway. Yes, exactly. You'd be bumping your head throughout that house. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't live there. Mm. I don't want to live there anyway. <laughs> um, don't worry. If we meet up, I'm making you go to that house. I'm good. No, you're not. No, you're but not. yeah, it's the house is. I, I think the house, especially in the sequel, is expanded upon better. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, and there's the attic. I forgot. Oh, there's yeah, the attic. yeah, where the um, where the um body of Kanji Suda and his wife are found by the mm-hmm. detectives, and where Sadako, uh, or oh, not Sadako, Kayako, uh, pulls. <laughs> Uh, the teacher up mm. to lure Rico and then starts coming following back. Yeah, which that's in that's in the living or uh, the uh, master bedroom where the the uh, husband and wife Kayako and uh, his name keeps escaping me. Takeo. Takeo. Uh, yeah, slept. I just know him as the guy from Kamen Rider Kugo. <laughs> <laughs> is that the actor? That, uh, his actor um, was like a detective in Kuga. And mm-hmm. um, so was one of the guys in um, uh, Ju-On 2. In Ju-On 2, it's one of the film crew guys. The one that lives the longest. Mm-hmm. But he's the closest thing Kuga has to a secondary writer, even though there isn't one. He's like the main police detective of that. He's great. Gotcha. And then we also had Gamera, the brave actor. Uh, yes, Kanji Suda. Who plays the father and Gamera, the brave, play the husband in this film. I mean, Kanji uh, Suda's in basically everything. He's in Shin Godzilla. He's in Kamen Rider Ryuki. He's in Garo. Plays, he's in two different Garo timelines. <laughs> so, so he's around. He gets around. Oh, yeah. He's got like over 200 credits on IMDb. He's like... Tamora ta, 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 what's his name? The guy from Tetsuo. Tara Aguchi? Yeah, that guy. He was also in Gamera the Brave. Was he? Yeah, he's um um like the the short bumbling um military guy from the film. I he's like the general, I think he was, or something. I'm gonna watch Gamera the Brave tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> he's not in much of the film, but he's he's there. He's, he's definitely there. Interesting. <laughs> but overall, I, we've been talking uh, for about an hour and ten Jesus minutes Christ, about this. Quick. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> most of it was spent trying to explain and describe what the film was. Trying to figure out how to explain. <laughs> um, and then, like, like we, I feel like we've complained a lot, too, about the film. I feel like... We've complained a lot, but... I, I actually I, I like this film, you know. It for me it comes down to this. Juwan isn't a really deep movie. Um there's mm. a bit of an allegory you can find about uh kind of like the status of Japanese families. Um Oppression of women as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
most I think most commonly is you don't see a nuclear family like husband, wife, and child uh, deal with the curse. It's all mm. estranged relationships mm-hmm. uh, or stupid teenagers or people being yeah. uh, used. I mean, even um, the closest thing we have to that, it seems that like the father of the daughter is... Was he somewhat estranged to her? It kind of um, seemed like it. He kind of... I, 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 the film never really makes it clear, but I, the way it was... Just when they meet up, it sort of felt like that. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. how it came across. Mm-hmm. It definitely did. So, you know, there, there's a little bit of some metaphors there mm. and meanings. Um, but what it is, is it's probably the scariest Japanese horror film I've ever watched. <laughs> um, it's not my favorite, but it's it's scarier than Ring. It's mm-hmm. scarier than House or any of the other any of the One Miss Call movies. Mm-hmm. I I get a feeling of dread when I watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, this was my second time watching it, and Kayako still freaked me out. <laughs> like the sound Kayako makes is legitimately one of the most horrifying things I've ever watched or heard. I really want you to watch Joan Origins so bad. I am so interested in your reaction to that series. Maybe uh, we'll cover it on the podcast. I would love to. Uh, it's going to be even harder to explain than this film, but... <laughs> oh, boy. It, it. I love Juwan as a horror movie. Mm-hmm. As a horror movie, I think this achieves everything a horror movie should. It's scary, it's hard to understand, and that is the premise of horror. You don't understand it. It's the unknown. Mm -hmm. And trying to rationalize Juon narratively is almost impossible without... As, As this recording has made clear. Yes. So, in a way, Juon has achieved what most horror movies haven't. And that's Mm -hmm leaving your audience in the dark without deliberately putting them in the dark. And that's all through Shimizu's writing. The way he has made this film, it's perfect for what he's, for what horror is supposed to be. Juon is a perfect example of horror. And it's something that, because I've seen Juon 2. Um, it's something that Juon 2 does, but I don't know if it necessarily achieves it as good mm. as the first one. I, I think Juon 2 at least has a bit more of a, a, a bit better of a through line at least yeah. with what it's going for. You don't, you don't an hour and three minutes in feel like, okay, why is the movie still going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um but I you know it, it's got its narrative issues, but I think that adds to like the, the ending with Kayako still freaks me out, even though I'm like, when's the movie over? Mm-hmm. Kayako still makes me want to not move. <laughs> um Toshio is 
I hate that little guy. <laughs> I want to bash his face in. You hit a child? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little Final Wars reference up. for you. Um, but it's it's something that I think Sam Raimi is correct in his assessment of it brought something new because I feel like it mm-hmm. understood horror better than most horror movies understood horror. And especially in the modern era, I think a lot of that horror has been that the understanding Shimizu has, has not been translated. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, it's not necessarily just an issue with the modern era. I'd say even classic films have the issue. Yeah. Um, I mean, horror is kind of has a horrible reputation as a genre for a reason. Right. And I think one of the hardest issues for Shimizu is Juwan is the same thing over and over and over, just like the curse. It's the curse of Juwan. It's the same stuff over and over and over again. And when Shimizu does other works, he can't, he can't replicate that understanding of horror as much um i've seen his film uh merbito starring shinya tezukamoto mm-hmm. and it's it's narratively a little weird it doesn't explain everything but it doesn't it doesn't impact as much as uh juan did mm-hmm. now there's a, another franchise that i haven't watched and i feel kind of bad because we haven't talked about it but tomio I think is what it's called, T-O-M-O-I, Tomio. Um, That's a franchise Shimizu worked on, um, and that kind of helped develop his Juon idea. Um, Mm -hmm. That's one of the three big franchises of J-Horror, Ring, Tomio, and Juon. And Tomio was a a Junji Ito uh, manga, I believe. Mm. Um, Didn't he direct one of the... The films he might have he might have i don't know Mm. i still need to get the tomio films they're on my list um but i haven't i haven't watched them yet Mm -hmm. so there's there's my ramble i i think juan is a masterpiece of horror um it's not a masterpiece of cinema uh, but i think it understands and gets horror better than most films do you see, for me, I, 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 I really do enjoy Juon as a thrill ride, but um, I, I, I don't feel I quite agree with this idea that it understands horror better than than say other films. Um, I, I just think that it's taking a different approach and the approach is taking just really works in in this film for the most part because i because i feel horror just horror can't work if it's the same thing over and over again you know this is true I mean, and i think that that is the issue with juan is it can't get out of its curse mm-hmm. pun intended <laughs> and the same thing seems to apply to the ring franchise as mm-hmm. well and that's what killed Jay Horror is they couldn't get out of the cycle. Mm-hmm. Dead Wet Girls, Ring, Dark Water, 
Juan, Tomio, all of these films have dead girls. Most of mm-hmm. them are wet. Stop. Stop. No. no. Stop and think about what you've done. <laughs> oh, these things, they, they happen. Oh, God. Um, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so, you know, J-Horror has that that issue of falling into the genre tropes of its own genre. Mm-hmm. And that's what has killed it as yeah. as a genre. I mean, it's it's sort of similar to what happened with the slasher genre in the 80s, where, you know, you had Halloween, a big success, had films capitalizing on it, like Friday the 13th and all them. And then very quickly, um, there was a decline around, I think it was around 84 or 85, where that genre started to see its decline. And then you had to have films like Nightmare on Elm Street, which um, shook up, up the genre a bit, but didn't necessarily revitalize it. Um, and then the genre started slowly fading away. And then you'll occasionally get little revitalizations such as Scream. Yeah, but... And keep dying and dying. I wouldn't say Scream was revitalizing it. Um, True. Scream... It, it, I, I don't want to quite say reinvent, but it, it, it pokes did. at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Scream also started like... Um, it kind of sparked that 90s slasher um, sort of, not subgenre. Um, I don't know. It, it just, Scream sparked a, diff, a, a more teen-oriented um, side of the slasher genre, I suppose. See, to me, Scream is like Takashi Miike's, uh One Miss Call. Mm-hmm. Both, because uh, Takashi Miike did Itchy the Killer and Audition, um, early yeah. J-horror films that, you know, took the world by storm as well. Um, True. And then, you know, as the genre died, he made One Miss Call, which if you listen to the Tom Mess commentary, he talks about how One Miss Call is more of a parody. Mm-hmm. It's It's laughing in the face of the death of J-horror, which is the same for Scream. So, to me, J-Horror kind of, it lived for about three years. Mm. Six. 1998 through 2000 and maybe four. And then you saw by 2006 was one missed call, I think. Or that 2003? It might have been 2003. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's okay. Okay, and then the, and then one of the sequels was at six. Okay, one missed call two. Uh, probably. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty sure. So you know, I think one missed call is is came out around the time that J Horror started to lose its grip. Jew on the Grudge came out in 03 as well. Yeah. Um, very early O3, whereas right. um, One Miss Call, it had its premiere um, December 14th? On Godzilla Day. 
Oh, November 3rd. Yeah, at the uh, Tokyo Film Festival, and then had its full release um, in January 2004. Okay. And then, you know, you had like Mirbito, Shock Labyrinth, uh, Tormented, and a a huge slew of J-horror films, but they didn't like pick up. And that's why a lot of people classify J-horror died with the conclusion of like the original ring quadrilogy, probably Juon two, uh, when Juon two came out that, uh, or I should say Juon the grudge two. Uh, yeah. When yeah. that came True. out, uh, after the first one missed call, cause nobody talks about two or final, uh, and it, it, it no longer lasted. Um, mm-hmm. So I think Juon, Juon the Grudge, is kind of like that last hurrah, like that nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Uh, of J-Horror. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to talk too much more into J-Horror because we are in the month of October. Surprises are yeah. coming. We're going to be talking a little more about J-Horror soon enough. Yeah. Um, but it's – I think Juon's a, a phenomenal horror movie. Um, I think it's a prime example of what Japan can do. It's different than your run-of-the-mill horror. It's scary. It's undoubtedly Japanese. Um, it even took inspiration from uh, the ghost of Yo- uh, Yotsuya, which is a uh, yeah. old kabuki play about a samurai that returns home uh, after leaving his wife. I think, or I'm getting it mixed up with one of the yeah. stories. I mean, I mean, the story has changed a lot over time as well, too. Long story short, the samurai comes home and, like, kills his wife, abuses her, and then she yeah. returns as an onryo, which is a vengeful spirit, uh, which is what Kayako is, uh, and put seeks vengeance and a lot of people have taken note of the similarities between Kayako and the, the wife from the ghost of Yotsuya. So, I mean, Juon, you know, it, it calls back to classic Japanese stuff while also creating something new. So it, it's, it, it's got a nice balance of classic Japanese stuff and modern Japanese stuff. Um, yeah. As you mentioned, the fear of technologies, it's, it's in there a little bit. And it's its a huge improvement from 10-4 and In a Corner. Oh, uh, definitely. Both uh, Kayako and Toshio are well, well established. And they're horrifying. <laughs> I hate both of them. So I, I don't really have any more thoughts I, I don't want to be an echo chamber because, like, that's, I. It's it's memorable, it's good, it's got issues more so than other J horror films, mm-hmm. but, but it's got its place. It does, and it definitely deserves that place. Mm-hmm. So that's all I got. Uh, you got anything, Rex? Uh. 
in comparison to having seen the American remake, I like how just not overproduced this film looks. Mm-hmm. Um, because the remake just feels too overproduced. Like it's really trying to look and feel scary. Whereas there's something more simple about Juan the Grudge, particularly with its colors being more, uh, I guess, normal rather than just muted blue for most of the movie, where where it feels, I guess, more real and adds to sort of tension and dread in there. Even though you'd think typically, oh, you got to have it look darker and more blue to you know have that atmosphere you know yeah it's i i do agree with that it's very natural Mm -hmm. it's very much what was on the camera and not a lot more yeah uh but aside from that no i enjoy this film um it's fun fun little j-horror movie and i hope to uh, i've seen juan 2 and a couple of the American films was the TV show. And I do genuinely hope to see the rest of the films at some point and who knows, maybe cover them here. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Uh, that last statement. Well, if that's it, I guess we can go ahead and move on to the final part of the podcast where we uh, link ourselves and uh, wrap things up here. Just like The Grudge, we have this endless cycle where we always introduce ourselves, <laughs> we always say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And we always tease the movie's title as if uh, the audience can't read the title. I know, right? It's like, yeah, we're going to keep acting like nobody knows what we're talking about. And then... Yeah. What's a Jew on? No idea. <laughs> mm, never heard of it. So, Rex, what and where can people find you at? Well, you can find me on YouTube at Rex Zeno. Find me on Twitter at Rex underscore Xenomorph. Instagram, Rex underscore Zeno. And it's uh, more or less it. I write on, uh, also write on Tokusatsu Network, a pretty good, pretty great news site if you want uh, bits, updates on the various Tokusatsu media from Godzilla, Kamen Rider, Ultraman, and even Garo, whenever something happens with the Garo franchise. Please. please. He's projecting. Yes, please. As for me, I am Elijah. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at ET13 Productions. I don't post really anymore maybe eventually i'll fix that you can also find me on twitter at et13 productions or on instagram at et13 productions or if you want to look hard enough you'll find my personal socials if you want to see what's going on in this head of mine whatever this is uh, rex deals with me vocally all the time so you know just take it from him <laughs> there's your answer that's what you should do. Awkwardly laugh like you know what I'm talking about. Yes. But as for the podcast, uh, 
don't forget to write us a review on iTunes. That helps our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. We did get review bombs, so some five-star ratings would be lovely. In fact, I'm going to take a quick gander to see what it currently is. Yes, we have a 3.0 rating. We've got two stars, uh, or two, 22 ratings. We've got a three-star rating. So if we could boost that, that'd be great. Uh, we've got a lot of episodes on there. We're trying our best to make the best content possible. So if you could, that would be greatly appreciated. Beyond that, if you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I don't, you can use Spotify and rate us that way. Uh, that's a new uh, thing they're doing now. So please do that if possible. Or if you can't do those, you can tweet us and follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. You know the drill. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. Or if you're like me before podcasting and don't have social media, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word. You know the drill. If you leave us a review, we'll read it out uh, on air for everyone to hear as we greatly appreciate your feedback. But please make it a five star if possible. I'd personally appreciate that and Rex would too. We also have merchandise on Teespring. It's just our logo. I mean, it's a pretty cool logo, if you ask me, because I made it. <laughs> but if, you know, if you don't want to, that's fine. Eventually, we'll do something else, but that won't be for a while. If you'd like to chat with uh, us one-on-one -on -one or talk to others with similar interests, you can join our Discord server. Uh, sometimes uh, we have great conversations there, and you can get involved with podcasting stuff. Uh, as I always like to do, what we've got going on right now, somebody has uh, just posted about Godziban, the new uh, web series that Toho has been posting uh, featuring Godzilla puppets. Uh, Bacon is actually getting his first, uh, or not his first, Bacon. his second official appearance in a Godzilla kaiju uh, production. His first live action appearance. Yes. So there's some really awesome stuff that goes on there. I'd highly recommend it. And mm. as always, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload. We do have exclusive stuff like bloopers or small little mini-sodes, if you want to call them that. Uh, our bloopers especially go up there. And if there's bloopers from this episode, which I'm pretty sure there will be, mm -hmm. it's kind of funny to, to, to listen to them. Uh, so thank you guys. And as always, uh, thanks to Rex for editing these episodes. Uh, we're about at two hours and 10 minutes and the recording. So, oh boy. you know, by the time you guys get to it, it'll probably be an hour and a half with a runtime of an hour of us trying to explain the stupid plot to this movie <laughs> and the rest of it, us, griping over how amazing it is even though yes. we complained about the plot for an hour yes we're complaining about why we like it you know yes so thank you guys so much thank you rex and everybody please remember life's too short to not talk big bye guys ciao